Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. None of us were able to come to Christ as a Catholic, a Methodist, a Wesleyan, an Episcopalian, a Baptist, a Congregationalist, a Buddhist. We all had to come to Christ as sinners, okay? Because he came to save sinners. And the moment we listen to people start naming and claiming their denomination or their demonation, whatever you want to call it, you're going to have to do some reeling in. You've got to come to Christ as a sinner, not as a righteous religious person that's claiming a denomination. That's who he came to save. And Paul's most instructive phrase in this chapter is, I am chief. You want to talk about getting low. <laughs> How you doing, chief? Paul had, Paul had no problem with that. <laughs> he said, I, you, you want to find a sinner? Call me chief. He got a hold of that. His own experience that he draws upon. And in relationships, this idea or undertow of thinking that I'm better than you, it really hurts relationships. Paul got a hold of that, and as we are going to see, that is important because we see him as a pattern for how we should live. Personal ego can smother relationships, and when people play the super spiritual part, and they got the super spiritual cape on, uh, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We all need to take that cape off, okay? There's, there's one S on somebody's chest, okay? That's the sovereign God, okay? He's sovereign. He's, he's the super. We are the chief of sinners. And the Bible says in Luke verse, uh, chapter 8, it says, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And this is the whole idea that we are going to grasp tonight is that Paul's example is he is going to point you and me to what God has done. You don't witness to a lost person. That's your testimony. How you got saved is to point them to what God has done in your life. You see, people say to Christians many times, what do you think? You're better than us? Have you heard that? No, our message is we're not better than you, but our message is we do have a better way. We were just like you. We were in the same boat. Sinner. Chief, I'm a chief sinner. Look at yourself as a chief sinner. Yes, you're saved by grace. Yes, there's no condemnation. Yes, nothing can separate you from the love of God. All of that lay claim and hold to. Just don't forget where you came from. Okay? Verse 16. 
how be it. So what is he doing? This word is bringing him back to his position of what he just said in verse 15. I'm a chief of sinner. He's reconfirming it. How be it? For this cause, I obtained mercy. Praise the Lord. God should have struck you down. He should have struck me down. He should strike every sinner down. But Paul is praising God that he received mercy. How about you and I? Praise his name. Don't forget. Realize who you are. You didn't obtain hell. You didn't obtain judgment and wrath. You didn't obtain eternal separation from God. You, you and I obtained mercy. Praise his name. It's a good stopping point to just marvel at just how undeserving you are and I am. Yet we receive mercy. As if now that we're saved, we have this super spiritual ego sometimes that almost comes across that, well, I kind of deserve to get saved, but you're really kind of another story, buddy. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, you're right. God help us. God help us. To look down at another sinner as if God can't save that sinner and as if or as if, well, we kind of are a little more deserving of God's mercy and grace because of what that person's into. Look, there's some wicked sin that I praise God I never got into. And I'm sure there's some wicked sin you praise God you didn't get into. I mean, this month kind of reveals a lot of sin that people are in that, and I don't even know how you can get that deep into that sin. What are you doing? Isn't it easy to look at those that are celebrating wicked sin this month and say, man, they're just so undeserving. As if the thought is we kind of got a little, we kind of deserve it a little more than them. Isn't it? We need to be careful. We obtained mercy. Praise God. Look, all sinners are undeserved. All of them. Including you, including me. And I'm thankful that we can gather together as saints in God's in, in God's house on a Thursday night. I do. Do thank him. Let's not forget we have a lot of empty spots. Let's go rescue the parish. Okay? Let's go. Tell them about Jesus and let them know that, look, we were just as undeserving. So are you. But you can obtain mercy just like I did. And we have this phrase here, and this is going to get into some context that you'll need to know doctrinally. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Now, there's going to be some things we're going to have to unpack tonight. We're going to start unpacking it in Galatians. I'd like you to go to Galatians, it's chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 
Uh, look at verse number 15. Under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Paul says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, look at verse 16, to reveal his son, and here's the phrase again, in me. God's son revealed in Paul, in me, he says, that I might do what? Preach him among who? The heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, and it goes on. There's something in Paul that wasn't in Paul before. And look at verse number 24. It says, it goes on, and at the end of the chapter, it says, and they glorified God, and here's the phrase, in me. There was a change in Paul. There was a change in me. There was a change in you. Christ dwelling in you. The question is, do people see the change in your life? What do you mean? Well, from a wolf to a sheep. <laughs> that change. <laughs> or are you still a wolf? Wolf to sheep. Because there's a pattern. There's an example. This is instruction Paul is giving to Timothy. Through the Holy Spirit's inspiration for instruction in the ministry. You know what ministers need to be? Sheep, not wolves. Something happened in them. God's people need to see that example. Now, make no mistake, it doesn't just stop with Paul and Timothy, it's for all of us sheep. Okay? The pastor. There's a sheep as well. And he needs to show forth the example. In me, this, this idea or that phrase, in me. Um, go back to 1 Timothy. I'll be it for this cause, verse 16. I, I obtained mercy, we got that. That in me, first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Now look at this wording that in me first. Well, Paul isn't the first rank sinner. I mean, look at some of the Old Testament junk that was going on. I mean, just pick some, but pick somebody. I mean, Ahab and how Elijah had to deal with him. I mean, he's not the first chief sinner. He, he claims that title. But it does prove when we read this that beyond any reasonable doubt, God can save the greatest of sinners. And the pattern is, I obtain mercy, there's a comma, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering, comma, for a pattern. This pattern, you got to get this doctrinal. It's not a reference to unsaved people seeing the long suffering of God. Although an unsaved person could certainly recognize that God is long suffering. But in this 
context, the pattern isn't that. The pattern is Paul and Timothy as being examples. Paul says, in me first. He doesn't say, in God's dealing with me. He's saying, there's something in me. It's a reference to save people. And Paul's pattern is going to serve as your example. And Paul's pattern is going to serve for my example. What's that pattern? The pattern is long-suffering. Are you living your life in that pattern? You obtain mercy and you live with long-suffering. Does a lost person say, man, if God saved you, I, 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 I guess he can save you. Or when the lost person talks to you, is it always, well, why are you so, why are you so much better than me? It's a good question to ponder. That lost person should be coming away with the fact that, wow, God saved you. I guess I might stand a chance. This doesn't mean you bring you bring the uh, the USPS postal truck with all the mail from your past. <laughs> you start opening up every envelope and giving them every detail of every sin that you've done. No, that's not what I'm putting forth. That's not what God expects you to put forth. But you can communicate to someone that look. I've done some horrible things in my life. I've done some horrible sin in my life. But what is it? You don't need to go into all the details. But you need to communicate to them that you are in the same boat as them. This whole month, preaching to the LGBTQ brand, now they had. I've never done any of this. I trust nobody in this room has done anything about it. I trust that there's young people in here that don't even know what all that sin is. And that's a good thing they don't know what it all is. But they have to know that it was a, a miraculous work of God that you got saved. And he can do that same miraculous work in your life. We need to bring ourselves down a notch. Paul did that. His pattern, his pattern is long suffering. And what does that mean? You're not easily provoked. You can take some shots and deal with it. To get real theological, it means to suffer long. That's it. How much is the Lord willing to put up with me and you? That's his long self. You know what it is in the context of Paul and for the Christian living his life? How much can you put up with the world? How much long suffering can you have with this lost and dying world? Should we be long suffering with others? That's the pattern God wants us to get a hold of. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. That's what Titus said. Paul is a pattern, and Paul says, Follow Christ. 
And Christ's pattern for Christians is to set an example that's Christ-like so others can follow. Both are there. Yes, Christ is long-suffering. Yes, we are to follow Christ. But in this pastoral epistle, Paul is set forth as the example saying, hey, you can follow Paul. Paul can be your example because Paul suffered a lot of things. And just like Christ suffered, Christians are going to suffer. We are going to need long-suffering down here too. Paul was stoned. He was in prison. He's praising God in prison. Jesus, uh, Jesus said, he said, for I will show, Jesus said regarding Paul, he must, you believe you must be born again? You believe that verse? Jesus speaking of Paul said, you must suffer for my name's sake. If we, if, if, if Paul is our example, Guess what he's trying to teach us and Timothy at the same time? The Holy Spirit's inspiration. You must suffer for his name. You can, and I can thank the Lord that we're not being imprisoned, we're not getting stoned, we're not being beheaded. We can thank the Lord for that. There's going to be some suffering, and it will be for his name's sake. I'm just telling you, I am not willing. To stand out with a, with a, a sign that says, make America great again. Vote Trump. Vote Republican. And then get either arrested or attacked or smeared, whatever, from the left or from the world. I'm just not willing to do that because that's not the solution that we need. Well, who are you going to vote? Whoever doesn't look like look like the devil most during that day when the election is. Look, preachers. I don't know how many of them are getting arrested for standing up for Christ in the United States of America. One just got arrested a couple of weeks ago in Pennsylvania. As soon as he mentioned the name of God, cuff him and stuff him. You say, well, the charges got dropped. This time, <laughs> you don't think guys like that, that get arrested, you don't think it's not coming down the line? Well, they're going to rough that guy up. They're going to purposely put him in a cell where they know he's going to get it handed to him. You don't think that's coming? Well, we'll drop the charges afterwards. We're going to teach that guy a lesson. Long suffering. It means we're going to have to suffer long. And I don't like that. I'm not saying you have to like it. I don't like it. I don't want it for me or you. But there's a pattern here that we need to get a hold of. Go back to First Timothy. Let's continue on. The Bible says, um, I obtain mercy that me first. Jesus Christ might show forth all suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him the life everlasting. 
well, to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting would be Christians. The pattern is for Christians. Matter of fact, look at Philippians 3 and get Colossians 1. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy. Philippians chapter 3, watch what it says in verse number 10. Philippians 3.10. Regarding Paul, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Oh, that's great. We're all going to enjoy Christian fellowship. And all the ladies say, oh, what are you going to bring? What are you going to bake? What, what are you going to? Bring? No, we're going to we're going to fellowship around suffering. Who's coming to that potluck? Nobody. Everybody's sitting home trying to find their favorite preacher. that's going to make them feel good about not having to deal with suffering. It's part of the Christian life. And Paul said, we're going to fellowship around that. I will say this, if you're dealing with something, if you're dealing with something, if you're having a hardship, if you're hitting, if you're hitting a roadblock, if you're having a setback, you know what we should do? We should all fellowship around each other and bear, help bear that suffering that someone's going through. Go to Colossians 1. Look at verse 24. Colossians 1, 24, Bible says, who now rejoice. In my sufferings for you, Paul, and fill up that that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. But praise God, Christ bled on that tree on Calvary. And that we don't have to do that. But his example is our example and Paul's example is our example. There's going to be suffering. And it's going to be long. Pray. Don't look at it like. I got to find a health, wealth and prosperity preacher. No. No, fellowship around. Count yourself for suffering for the name of Christ. Don't go sign up for that fellowship. We put something in the back that says we're going to have a fellowship. Yeah, sign up for the meals. Don't, as a Christian, go, oh, sign me up for some heartache. No, don't do that. But the pattern is, the example is, look, it's going to come. Just own that. Know it's going to come. Try to avoid it. Try to pray out of it. Do all that. But it will come. And it will be for his name's sake. And if you look at verse 25 in first, uh, first Colossians, in Colossians first chapter, look at verse number 25. It continues on. It's verse 24 to end, which is the church. And then it says, whereof I am made a minister. Go back to first Timothy. What are we talking about? Watch how this ties in. First Timothy 1, look at verse 12. Uh, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into what? The ministry. The ministry is suffering long. 
That's part of it. It's being hurt. It's being abused. It's being talked about. It's being gossiped about. It's being secret meetings that you don't know about. It's secret conversations that you don't know about. It's somebody shutting down the church's YouTube channel. It's people yelling at you because they don't like your message. That's just for the preacher. That's an easy way to salve yourself. I'm just glad I'm not on. I'm glad. I'm just glad I'm on the other side of the pole. I understand that. But you can get on the firing line, too. You can rally around the preacher and the preacher can rally around you. And you can preach open air. You can knock on some doors. You can pass out some tracts. You can hold some signs. You can deal with a couple that's having some trouble. You can deal with a person that's having some heartache. Share fellowship with the suffering. I just think the preacher should do it. Yeah, the preacher should do it, and preachers do do it, but they can't do all of it. This is why bad things happen in relationships with preachers and their wives and preachers with their kids, because they're trying to do it all, or the people expect him to do it all. Fellowship around some of the suffering. And when you're low, I'll lift you up. And when I'm low, you lift me up. And when I'm low again, you lift me up again. And if I'm low again, you don't run around and try to find another church. No, you fellowship around the sufferings and help, help the preacher. Talking to a guy, I won't tell you who. He didn't go here, but um, don't even live in this town. He said, yeah, our, our preacher retired. You know, we had the last service and they packed the house for the last service, for the last preacher's sermon. You know, there was like 212 people that were there that they counted. Praise the Lord. Packed it all out. Typically get about 100, 110. They doubled their numbers because the preacher was leaving. <laughs> now, they all love him. They want to come hear his last sermon. That, that's a good thing. Older man of God is going to retire. And that's a glorious thing. Well, they've got a preacher now that it looks like they're going to uh, have pastor the church and take it over, which, praise the Lord, that's what you want. You don't want works to die out. I said, yeah, you know, I, I love the guy and doctrine's straight and all the leaders love, love him. And we really think he's going to be great for the church. I said, but we got um, to have the congregation vote on I said, why don't the leadership just tell the congregation that this is the man job? Oh, I know, I know, I know. So he's talking about it. Every time I open that can, there's always people tell me problems about that system. So he says, well, in ours, we only need 75% of the people to say yes. Some of them are higher. So I said, well, what if 75% of the people vote no and that's the wrong decision? Preachers go through some stuff. People, if they don't like something, they get enough people together and they say, 
we're going to change this or we're going to leave. That's how church splits happen. Well, Brother Jimmy, what are you saying? What are you saying? The solution. I don't have a solution. I'm just sharing with you. There's some suffering that happens amongst Christian people. And instead of splitting and dividing fellowship around it, get this, just get head deep into the suffering. And you would be surprised. Now, it sounds like this, this preacher, they, they all love him. It sounds like this preacher's going to get, get voted in. And praise the Lord that, that that happens. But suffering is a real emotion that people need to deal with. And the example is from Paul. And the life in the ministry is from Philippians, from Colossians, from Acts, what Jesus said in 1 Timothy 1. Why don't we just enjoy some fellowship with it and just get a hold of it? And you know what? I can thank the Lord that I'm not going through what you're going through. And you can thank the Lord that you're not going through what he's going through. But at the end of the day, we should fellowship around suffering, knowing if it don't come to me this week, it's coming to you. And if it comes to you next week, it's probably not coming to you. Okay? We're going to have to deal with it. Paul received mercy because God would demonstrate in him what all Christians should be prepared to handle. And that's suffering. I think I've made that point clear. And I had to do that for this reason. Every word of God is pure, and it's important that we understand every word in this text in the King James Bible. Because the NIV says in verse 16, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example. The New American Standard Bible says Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example. The ESV says Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. In all three of those modern versions, they have inserted his into the text, which you won't find in any Greek text. They have inserted his in the text. And although that is a truth that Christ is long-suffering, that is not the context of this verse. The context of this verse is Paul and Timothy in the ministry. Yes, Christ suffered. And now, Paul, you're going to suffer. And as you suffer for the cause of Christ, and as you fellowship around the suffering for the cause of Christ, and as you have that pattern of long suffering, other Christians can look to you as an example. This isn't for unsaved people to look at Christ as his example. He is an example. But this context is for us to see Paul as the pattern. You see what else was removed in every single one of those modern versions? Long suffering. Completely removed. This is why we read and study the Bible. So we can see all of the words and understand the context of all the words. 
Man is sinfully depraved. He needs a savior. But no sinner should despair of mercy. Paul says he was the chief of sinners. And in me first, long suffering can be seen as the example. For what? A pattern to them which shall hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. An unsaved person should be able to see that pattern in you. As you ask them to trust him, Jesus Christ. All sinners of all stripes. Have received life everlasting. It doesn't matter if they did more wicked sin than you. All sinners receive the same everlasting life. And it's the same mercy that can be obtained by any lost person. And this lost world should see 100% proof that God can save them because they can look at you in your testimony. And you bring yourself back down to Paul, what Paul's trying to. And watch it, verse 17. Now that sinner has to be willing to repent and believe the gospel, just like you did. But God's mercy does not run dry. Verse 17, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What would that verse be considered? A doxology. Okay? It's given praise to God. It's a it's a short expression to God. It can, a doxology can typically be a short hymn, a psalm that's sung in worship to the Lord. But this verse fits right in that context of a doxology. And here's the pattern concerning this verse. Are you always ready to give a short expression of praise to God? I hope so. I hope so. We'll finish in this verse. Now unto the king eternal. That shows up one time. Eternal, no starting point, no ending point. He's an eternal God. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's eternal. Where did God come from is the wrong question. Where did eternity come from is the right question. It came from God. He's an eternal God. Uh, it says unto the king eternal. A king rules. And no ruler on any earthly monarch down here or any country down here is going to be an eternal ruler. It is all temporary reign. And as much money and as much extravagance they put into the new king and queen or whatever's going on in the other country, the Americans are more excited about that than they are with forget it going about that. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail tonight, but it's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end. Not our God. Not our God. He's immortal. That means unlimited eternal existence. Death can't touch him. Corruption cannot corrupt him. He tasted death, but he defeated death. All other rulers, their life expires. And that means we are liable to expire just like anybody else. But if we're in Christ, we have eternal life. 
And it says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible. It can't be seen. You can use a telescope and you can look in and you can bring in stars and you can bring in the moon and you can, that telescope will magnify something that you can't see with your naked eye and make it like your eyes more powerful. That lens is more powerful. But you can't see God. Your eyes can't do that. Can't go that far. As we close out, I want you to notice a few other things. Now, one of the king, eternal, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only, what type of God? Wise. That's an important word that you did. You find it in the King James Bible. You don't find it in the modern versions. They remove the word wise. You know, the Bible tells us be not unwise. <laughs> I would say we should have who the only wise God is. The Bible also says, foolish people blaspheme my name. It's unwise, it's foolish, it's blasphemous to remove the title of our Lord from the Bible. He's the only wise God. Wise God. Cross-reference that with Jude. It says, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Has the power to judge correctly 100% of the time. How many of you young people want more wisdom? Good. You can get it from this book. You serve an eternal God, an immortal God, the only wise God. You know what people are looking for? Wisdom. You know what people are looking for? Truth. Wisdom in that truth. You know where they're going to find it? Truthers. Social sites. And none of these newscasters that are trying to put themselves off as truthers go to good Bible-believing churches. They know more about Alex Jones as a truther than they do about the Word of God. God's going to give you some wisdom if you get in the book. As much as we try to get on the social platforms, try to get truth out there, there is a lot of danger. People are looking for wisdom and truth, but they're going down all these rabbit trails, getting distracted. Let's get in the book. Let's study the book. Let's understand the book. Are you saying all those truthers are wrong? Look, I'm not saying they're wrong about everything, but they're wrong about enough things. You can't base your life on what you think really happened to JFK. And who you think is really running the world. I can tell you who's running the world. Satan. I'm the most anti-government guy you can find in the entire state. I have no hope in the government. I know they're all crooked. I don't need to watch a three-hour documentary about something that's just going to put me totally off base. I'd rather spend three hours in this book. I'd rather spend three hours on the street preaching. I'd rather spend three hours knocking some doors. I'd rather spend three hours with some young people passing some tracks out and doing a Bible study and going fishing. And I want to get to know the wise God. I don't want to try to get my mind puffed up, puffed up with other stuff. Are you with me? God is so wise. 
Let's just double down on him and his wisdom. Honor. Honor. It's the reverence, the dignity, and the high estimation you put on something. And I'll say it again. Thank you for prioritizing midweek service. God should be honored reverently. And it's his glory. It's his splendor. It's his magnificence. When I talk about, you know, you ever hear the phrase of the saying, man, that person, they walk in the room, they just brighten up the room. I want to be a person like that. I want you to be people like that. You desire that. That's God. And when his saints come together, it should just brighten up the room. Really. The glory of God. We have the glory of God, the indwelled Holy Spirit. It's his glory, his divine perfection of excellence. And then we'll close out how this verse closes out. The honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me hear everybody say, amen. It confirms truth. That's why we say amen in a church. That's why we see it in the Bible. Amen. Whom be glory and ever, forever and ever, period. And then a sentence with one word. Amen. And that's how it ends. It's a way for God's people to say, let this be established. I say amen. God says amen. It says, and I agree with that. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.